unless you were comatose, I think, from the music, you kind of got the idea of what we're, what we're about. We're actually in the, the uh, fourth week of Advent, which is four weeks of preparation for celebrating the coming of Christ. And uh, we've looked at the themes of, of love and peace and hope. And today, can anybody, can anybody guess what the theme is today? Joy. That is, I don't know how you do that. That's, that's amazing. Um, and, and so it's, uh, it's great to be here and share and, and to see family members starting to come in. And uh, we just trust that you all have a, a wonderful, wonderful time. Now... What are you laughing for? <laughs> Go to the light. Go to the light. Stop jerking around with me, you guys up there. <laughs> You know, it's supposed to be Christmas. It's supposed to be, oh, laser, oh. Move toward the light. Did I say move toward the light? Okay. <laughs> please, please, no. You know, you realize who has power in the church. It's the tech people that can shut you down. Anyway, well, thank you for that tutorial. Cheapers. Let's get back on track here. So what did I say we were speaking on again? Oh, joy. Yeah. Um, joy. Uh, there's something special about Christmas, and and one of the one of the great overriding uh, emotions at Christmas is joy. Joy. Um, it's interesting. You know, we see it amped up. People excited. People seem to be happy. Kids are going out of their mind. And uh, I, I went to the uh, grocery store the other day and. Um, I, I needed, a, uh, I needed a, a, a buggy, a cart, and some guy saw me, and I'm trying to pull something out. He gave me a cart, and he wished me Merry Christmas. And then I'm in the store, and I want to get something. It's a grocery store. I want to get something and get out of there, and I'm kind of 
the baking section is not identified and I'm kind of get frustrated and I can't find any staff. Can you tell me where this is? And, and, and I'm looking for what I'm, uh, I'm there for and I can't find it. So I go and find a staff member and do you have this and where can I find it? And she's got to go because she doesn't know where it is. And so she's going to ask somebody. And then in the meantime, I'm, I'm kind of frustrated. So I'm walking down other aisles and some guy three aisles away comes to me big burly guy, big beard, and this winning smile. And he says, I think this is what you were looking for. I heard you talking about it. And he gave it to me and he said, Merry Christmas. Now that doesn't happen, you know, the rest of the year, right? Something special is happening that we enjoy uh, this time of year. I I saw some professional hockey players and they they were being interviewed about Christmas And these guys, well, some of them are pretty young anyway, but these guys were just giddy, excited. They were singing songs. Yeah, my favorite Christmas song is I'll Be Home for Christmas. And and they were excited and joyful. And and, uh, it was so neat to see. At the same time as we were reminded this morning... This is also can be a tough time for people. It's a time when they're going through difficult challenges, when there's a lot of stress and all the rest of it. But as I said, that seems to me one of the predominant emotions of this season and this time is uh, joy, joy. And it's certainly in keeping with the first Christmas. And, uh, oh, look at that. What, what, I want, what I want you to see this morning is that Christmas is a time for joy. The first Christmas was marked by joy. Of course, the birth of a baby is always an exciting and a happy time, or almost always. I remember when we had our first child, and I was just over the moon happy and excited and joyful and proud to show off this little guy that was nine pounds, half an ounce. And Gerda says, why do you always have to say half an ounce? I don't know. It just makes me feel good. Um, but the time when, it, when a baby is born is a wonderful time. And in fact, if you look at the, uh, Luke's account of the gospel, he starts out in chapter 1 with the other baby, the other Christmas baby. You know there was another Christmas baby, right? So there's a guy by the name of Zechariah. He's a priest. Um, he's a priest uh, uh, of God. And there are probably five or 6,000 priests at that time in Israel. And uh, they would come uh, and, and serve, and, and uh, then they would go back to their hometown, and they would, would serve God there. But, but the, the whole apex of Zechariah's experience in his, uh, in his uh, ministry is at this moment, where here he is, an older man. He, he comes in to the holy place of God, and he is charged with offering the incense before the Lord. He's in a place that nobody basically gets to see except priests. He he never has done anything of this import before. And here he goes before the the altar of, of incense. And he begins to burn the incense. And that incense would ascend before God as the prayers of the people. And as he's doing this, he's absolutely freaked out because an angel appears to him. In those moments there. And here he is now faced uh, to face with an angel. You need to know about this guy and his wife. They'd never been able to have children. And his prayer always was that they would be able to. And so we read in Acts chapter, uh, or in Luke chapter 1. 
The angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will call him John. And he'll be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. You know, there was another baby, and here's an old couple. They can't have a child, and God sends an angel to make a promise that this baby would be born, and he's head over heels excited, but he's, he's kind of freaked out too. In fact, he's, he's doubting himself a little bit that the child that he would be granted would have been prophesied about that 700 years before That he would be the forerunner to prepare the way for the Messiah who would come. What an incredible time. John the Baptist will will be born. Well, as the story continues, uh, we, we focus on John. So there's a baby who is going to be born. Um, And... Elizabeth, his wife, becomes pregnant. And in the meantime, an angel had visited Mary and told her that she would give birth to the Messiah. It was an incredible thing. And she's, uh, Elizabeth is a relative of hers. She's a few months ahead in terms of her pregnancy. And Mary goes to be with Elizabeth while, she is, uh, while she's uh, carrying Jesus. And uh, what we find in this is this, uh, this uh, expression. When Elizabeth heard Mary's voice greeting her, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, speaking about Mary, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Can you imagine that? Now, moms are pretty zoned into their babies, and they're carrying babies, and some are active, and some aren't active as as much, but they know the movements of the baby in their womb. But something happened when Mary got there, and Jesus' presence in the womb of Mary comes. Mary is filled with the Holy Spirit. John is filled with the Holy Spirit. And this baby is treating her womb like a trampoline. He's bouncing off the walls. Happy. Jesus has come. Well, not only that, we've got Mary. Mary, when she receives the message from the, uh, from the angel that God has chosen her to bear this son. This visitation happens, and she is so overwhelmed, she pours out her heart in what has uh, been called the Magnificat. It's, it's her prayer of praise to God. And here's what she says at the start of it. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. There is joy at, at Easter, or at Christmas. Boy, I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) At Easter, too. And then we've got Zechariah and his neighbors. Uh, It's interesting. 
This old couple had been in their community. Everybody knew they, they wanted children and, they, and it wasn't happening for them. And when the, when the news is out that, that Elizabeth is expecting a baby, the whole community just rejoices with them. And, and when the child is born, um, here's the cool thing. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. It was a time of rejoicing. And not only them, we've got angels and shepherds. And uh, what, what happens there, we read, is there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Incredible, this good news. This, you, know, you know the Greek word for good is mega. Mega joy they had. Such excitement. Joy surrounded the events of that first Christmas. But the question is, I mean, lots of babies are born. What's so special about this? What is the reason for joy that we have in this case? Why is it that there's so much joy around this? Well, I would say there are two reasons. One is who the baby is. Who the ba- it's, it's exciting. It's joyful because of who the baby is. Now, the baby is the everlasting king and the Messiah. Here's what the scripture says. You're to call him Jesus. He'll, give, he'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. He goes on to say the shepherds. Today in the town of David a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. The Lord. The, the hope that Israel had had was that God would send the Messiah that he'd promised. In fact, he promised, can I say, thousands of years before that something would happen. And even hundreds of years before, all kinds of prophecies were coming up about the birth of this one who would come. This promised ruler from the tribe of Judah, an eternal king, uh, one who would be a deliverer and live um, uh, and be in the line of King David. King David, God promised David that he would have a descendant who would sit on his throne in perpetuity forever and ever. God promised that. And so now is the time. He's coming. The Messiah is coming. The king is coming. The heir to David's throne who will live forever. But that's not the only designation. He was also called the son of the most high. In fact, in two places he was called that. He'll be called great and he'll be called the son of the most high later on. So the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. The son of God, the unique son of God. Um, his, His relationship with God as a son is different than anyone else had with God the father. He is the one and only in heaven with God. This was no ordinary child. This was no ordinary king. This was the son of God. And thirdly, he's also God. He's God. You say, well, how do you you come up with that? 
It says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. It's interesting that uh, the term Lord, when we go back into the Old Testament, in, in the uh, Ten Commandments, the, the people of God were warned that they should not uh, misuse the name of the Lord their God in vain. Uh, they needed to treat with respect the na- God's name and not misuse it. In fact, they became so fixated on this that they would not pronounce the personal name of God, which probably goes something like Yahweh. We don't know entirely because the vowels were never put in and it was never spoken. But that name of God uh, happens about 6, 000, over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. And whenever in your Bible you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the personal name of God happening thousands of times. But instead of doing that, they wrote the word Uh, They spoke the word Lord so that they wouldn't take the name of God and misuse it somehow. So the word Lord, and when we drag it also, is of God. When we pull it into the New Testament, Jesus Christ is called the Lord. He is, in fact, God. And so the incredible thing is that this baby that is born is none other than Almighty God, the Creator, the the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who came to earth. And this is the mystery and the wonder of the Christmas story. How God could, the eternal God, could enter into our space and become one of us and walk in our shoes and and know what it's like for us and come for a purpose that he has. This is God. What a mystery. What a wonder Christmas is. And they rejoiced because of who this baby was, but not just because of what he does, but also because of what, uh, excuse me, who he is, but what he does. And what he's going to do is he's going to bring good news. You heard what the shepherds heard. The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. The good news That being translated is the gospel. You hear the term, the gospel. Gospel means good news. And here is is, uh, the Son of God, and he's coming to bring good news. For all who struggle with the pain and with the trouble, with all uh, of the the terrible things that happen in this world and in, in this life, there's one who brings good news. We've been talking about hope and peace and love, all of the things that he would bring. He brings good news. He brings the hope that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Not only does he bring good news, but he will redeem his people. To redeem means to buy back, to purchase back something that has been uh, been taken. And and here's what, uh, when Zechariah praises God, he says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has redeemed them. He, he looked at their state. And, and if you look at Israel, Israel knew what it was. They were under uh, Roman occupation at the time. They knew what it was for hundreds of years to have these superpowers come and sweep down through their territory and, and take them captive or, or, or make them uh, take, carry them off as captives or, or just uh, impose their will upon them. And God said... Through this one, he would redeem his people. 
they for centuries have gone through ups and downs and been trampled by other nations and foreign powers. And they have endured war. But now this one is going to come and he's going to put an end to all of that. He would redeem them. He would buy their freedom back from them. It was Jesus who would do that. And, and Zechariah goes on to say that he would, he would give them salvation from all of their enemies. Spiritual redemption. People enslaved to sin that would be given freedom from, from sin. From death and the penalty of sin. Spiritual freedom in their life. And Jesus would not only redeem his own people Israel. He also was interested in saving people from around the world. In fact, here's what he says. He raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. For the Jews. He'll do that for the Jews. But he says, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great job, a joy for all the people, all the nations, all the people. That's why we're here today. Most of us aren't Jewish, but we're God's people. And he extended salvation to us and, and redemption to us. And, and wonderfully, that good news comes to all the people, including us. That's cause for celebration. That's cause for joy. He would reconcile, he would restore, he would forgive, he would accept, he would grant uh, that uh, eternal life for us, and it would be extended to everyone everywhere who would turn to Jesus in faith. Ultimately, it was not just that political oppression that they needed free from, it wasn't just war, it was sickness and disease and violence and famine and brokenness and all of the things that came upon us because of our turning away from God. Uh, earthquakes and tsunamis and inequities and ways that we hurt people. He, he's going to undo and, and redo all of that. That's why I love something like the, uh, the joy to the world. Let heaven and nature sing. No more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. We live in a world that has been cursed by God. But he will undo the curse. He will come and the wonders of his love. We will rejoice at what he does. And yet, sadly, we don't see the, f- the fulfillment of this and the realization of this yet. Mary is joyful, but there are a lot of hurting people. That's why Jesus has to come back again. That he can bring joy to us where we are, but he's, he's going to fix it fully and, and uh, comprehensively at a time in the future when Jesus will return. And when he returns... He will make everything right. But that doesn't mean we can't experience joy now. I want you to know that God's desire for you and for me, his desire for us is joy. Did you know that? I think that's so important because I think, I think so many people see God as some kind of a cosmic killjoy. Somebody who's just down in you and if you're having fun or doing something, he's just waiting for you to do something wrong so he can clobber you. And that's so wrong. That the whole of what God's desire for us is joy. You know, I, I, I checked it up in my Bible. And I, I came up with 437 occurrences of joy or rejoice or rejoicing in the Bible. I mean, it's a theme that runs through there. It's not just for, 
It's not just for Christmas. It's God's desire for us. And uh, God, God wants for us to experience joy. Joy in, 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 the, in the most wonderful way is his plan for us. That's his intention for us. I want you to listen to a couple of verses. Here's Jesus talking. He said, if you keep my commandments, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and re- remain in his love. Commandments. I don't like commandments. Commandments are restrictive. No, he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. If I've given you commandments, it's because my desire for you is joy. Uh, I, I told you, uh, I, you know, I've seen people who, who want happiness in their life. I remember sitting across from a t- uh, my desk from a lady and she looked at me. She leaned over on my desk and she said, I just want to be happy. Happiness. You know, in the States, it's enshrined in their documents. It's an inalienable right. Happiness. I want to be happy. And Jesus said, I've tried to show you and guide you and direct you in, in what you should do. And when you do that, your, your, your life will overflow with joy. He says in the high priestly prayer in John 17, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world. So that they, Jesus is praying to his father, so that my disciples may have the full measure of my joy within them. In 1 John, John writes and he's saying about his, what he wants to accomplish in his book. He says, I write this to make our, we, we write it to make our joy complete. God's desire for you is that you would have joy in him. That's his intention for you and, and uh, his desire for you. And, and I need to just pause here and, and kind of help you see that happiness and joy are not exactly the same thing. Happiness is something that's temporary. It's a, it's a state. It's a feeling uh, that's dependent on having the right kind of circumstances in your life. You want happiness, then good things need to happen to you and you'll be happy. But if bad things and tough things and hard things happen to you, it's stolen from you. That's different. The, the joy is produced by the Holy Spirit in our life. And it can be an enduring state. It can be undeterred by, by difficulties and struggles and challenges and trials. And is this ex- expressed in our gratitude to God. The kind of deep satisfaction that we can have when everything is not going our way. That it can still be okay inside us. G.K. Chesterton said, Christianity is foremost a religion of joy. Oh, the poor people who think, man, you're a Christian. I told you, I, I, I sat across the table from a guy whose, whose life was crumbling before his very eyes. He, he, he had, uh, he had uh, connected with a woman. They'd had a child together. Uh, she left him, took the child with her. Everything was going wrong. And, and uh, he, he looked at me and he said, if I become a Christian, what will I, what will I do for fun? And I thought, man, do you hear yourself? You're broken. Everything is going wrong in your life. And you're thinking, this faith of ours is so restrictive that I won't have any fun. I, didn't tell, I told you this before. Nobody has more fun than I do. I just, I love life. I, I just... 
I just have such a wonderful life. I, I'm so grateful to God. And uh, that can happen for us, even when circumstances aren't right. You see, joy is possible in Jesus. Joy is possible in Jesus. I want to show you an example in Jesus' life. Jesus, who was full of joy in the Holy Spirit, has gone through the most trying and difficult endeavor that you can imagine, the circumstances, being abandoned by his followers, being physically brutalized, to be hanging on a cross in nakedness, in shame, in agony, in suffering, Yet it couldn't steal his joy. In fact, here's what he says. Uh, Here's what it says of him in Hebrews. To, To helping a group of people who are struggling to live the Christian life. To make it through the Christian life. Uh, to, to hang in in, in in this race, this marathon. And he said, if you're going to hang in in this race, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. You say, that's crazy. How can you have joy? Because you see what the future looks like. You see what's going to happen because of what you've done. He, he, he can see and imagine the millions upon millions upon millions of people who are going to put their faith in Jesus Christ, whose lives are going to be radically transformed. Jesus said, you can have, it's possible to have joy in a difficult situation. The apostles learned that quickly too. These guys who all bailed out on Jesus for fear. And, uh, and now it's time for them to step up. And, and they're called in because they're preaching and doing miracles in Jesus' name. And so they are brought before the Sanhedrin. They're brought before the Jewish ruling council. And they're beaten. And they're warned. You do this again and it's not going to go well for you. And they let him out. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Who does that? Who who rejoices that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ? You see, you can have joy even when the circumstances aren't right at all. The apostle Paul with all of his problems, with all of his opposition against him and imprisonments and beatings and shipwrecking and stoning and, and all of the things that he'd gone through and abandonment by his friends and whatnot. And here's what he says to the Corinthians. I've spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. Isn't that incredible? In all my troubles, my joy is boundless. It's incredible that he, that he goes through that, that, that he understands. In fact, he, he can say to, in, this, in the same book, he, he can say, you know what, uh, my, my troubles, my, uh, they're, they're just uh, momentary hardships. 
He had, he had something else that granted him joy. Here he is. He and Silas are thrown into, beaten and thrown into prison in Philippi. And at midnight, they hear them singing. There's a joy. There's a song in their heart. There's a joy they have that can't be, uh, can't be snuffed out. That's why the Apostle Paul would say in Romans 8, I reckon that the present sufferings of this age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Are you struggling? Are you joyless in your life? Christmas is about Christ coming and what he does for us. And when he brings the newness of life. Are you experiencing that? Are you experiencing joy in that? I think one reason we don't experience joy because we feel hard done by. We struggle because people have more than we have. When Gerda and I went off to train for ministry in, in London, we were in a church and in this church was uh, an old couple. They'd been in ministry for about 45 years and we adopted them to be our surrogate parents and grandparents to our kids. And... Uh, uh, Doc Estabrooks uh, just kind of took me under his wing as well. It was a great encouragement to me. But I can never remember. They invited us to their home. Now, pastors didn't own their own homes at one point. They lived in manses. They, a lot of them retired with next to nothing because churches didn't think about that. And, and it's just the way it went. And he had a home. He had a little bungalow that was about 800 square feet. And when you came into that place and you talked to him, he, he was over the moon, grateful and joyful about this beautiful house that God had given them. And it wasn't by human standards that way. But you see, when you are zoned in, when you are dialed in to Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for us, and, and, and with the apostle Paul, Paul said, I know how to live in luxury and I, had, I know how to live with nothing. And in all of these things, I'm content. And when I saw Doc, and, and he, would, he would just, it's, God is so wonderful. Look at what he's done for us. And I'm going, man, if you've not been outside, you know, what a blessing. And you may be thinking, I deserve more than I have. And what you've done is, God isn't good to me. And God should do more for me. And I see others have more than I have. And and you just, you don't have joy in your life. And he wants joy for you. Deep and abiding joy. About a year and a half ago, uh, I went to see a friend of mine. We went through college together. We went and ministered together. Uh, I was there for his wedding. And uh, we had this, just this long friendship. He was pastoring in a different place. And we didn't get a chance to see each other that much. But um, he had cancer. And uh, he was losing the battle to cancer. And I, I went to see him. And I didn't know providentially how close he was to the end. Um, and I went to see him. And, uh, and we sat and talked. He was in a hospital bed in their dining room at the time. And uh, I chatted, we, we chatted, and we reminisced, and we laughed, and we cried. And he said to me, Kev, you know, I, I'm going home soon. I'm going home soon. Now, he wasn't, he wasn't excited about that because he had a wife and four kids and some grandkids. 
And he felt the pain and the agony of, of that, that kind of loss. But it was just like, Kev, I'm going home soon. And uh, we embraced. We prayed. And I left. And a couple weeks later, the Lord took him. And we went back for a great celebration of his life. But the thing that marked, that marked him for me was just the contentment and joy that he had in that circumstance. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what, what's happening in your life. But I can tell you from experience, the joy is possible no matter what you do. I remember Gerda and I have gone through some, some tough times at different times in our lives. And, and uh, I, I think of a couple of those experiences and uh, we would take the word of God and read it together. And God would, would just uh, infuse us with a sense of joy and hope. And, and God allowed us to see, you know, even though things aren't great in your life, you can have my joy because that's what I want for you. I want my joy to be in you and I want you to experience that joy. So Christmas is calling. Christmas is calling. It's saying, rejoice, rejoice. The Apostle Paul would say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. What does he know? Let me tell you, he was writing that from prison. And in about four little chapters, about 17 times, he's got joy, rejoice. And that's where he was. That's where he lived. And my friends, as we come up on Christmas... God's desire for us is that we would know the joy of Christ in our hearts. And that would, that would be everything we would need. And it's only going to get better. Father, we thank you so much for your grace uh, in our lives. We thank you that, that this re rejoicing, this joy that we're talking about is not something that we can't attain. But it is a fruit of the Spirit for the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. And Father, we long to experience that in those times when we're struggling. And I pray, Father, that by your Spirit, you would reach out and touch the hearts and lives of people who are here. That they may know your joy, no matter what the circumstance they're going for. And Father, I, I, I pray that you would help us to be beacons of that joy of that peace, of that love, of that hope that cause people to ask us what it is that makes us tick and we can tell them who it is and what he's done for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.